0: Today's episode is sponsored by Selena's Mexican Restaurant and Taqueria in Rochester, New York. Selena's is celebrating our 25th year in Rochester, and we are proud to continue offering fresh made Mexican inspired recipes that are affordable and served by Rochester's best. Check out our event space for private occasions as well as our catering menu for groups of 10 to 2,000. Looking for something different to do? Selena's hosts monthly tequila tasting classes as well as corporate team building seminars. Check out the website to learn more. Selena's.com. S A L E N A S.com. JazzCast Pros.
2: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Getting Real with Bossy. Hi, Kelly. How are you?
0: Hi, Kelly. I'm great. How are you? Oh,
2: I'm doing all right. I'm excited. I'm excited today because we're going to talk to a good friend of mine, Shelby Poole. I've been a huge fan of her since I met her in Long Island in like 2018 at a member summit meeting. I just saw her from across the room, and I was like, she is somebody that I need to get to know. And then find out that she is an enjoyer of cannabis, as is my husband, and they hung out the rest of the time. And I was like, I really wanted to hang out with her, but I get it.
0: (laughs) But now you're besties.
2: But now we're besties, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you introduced her to me, and I was like, this woman's amazing. I want to listen to everything she has to say. And that was before probably maybe four years ago. Yeah. Maybe right after the pandemic like peaked that I met. Right,
2: because it was in Canandaigua.
0: Yeah, was that it? And so, yeah, she was very vocal about cannabis, but it wasn't um, legalized yet. Right. Yeah. So, what she's done already in such a short period of time, just with awareness, understanding, empathy, I find her fascinating.
2: So Shelby is the owner of Betty Bloom Social Club. She is a tour as well. She was born into the industry and has run two of her family restaurants. Um, so this is kind of a, a different role for her, but it's so similar because the connection between cannabis and the hospitality industry is so strong. It's going to be that, really
0: interesting to see what happens with it.
2: I think so, too. And I love that it's
0: brand new. I love anything that's brand new because you can't compare it to anything. So it's a blank slate and
2: anything can happen. We talk about it with um, our public affairs people through the Restaurant Association. We try to look at other states that have legalized before us. But really, New York is such a powerhouse. Who knows? They're not going to necessarily follow those trends. So it really will be interesting to watch how it goes.
0: We're going to learn so much from Shelby today. I love that she talks about the stigma of cannabis and women in general, (laughs) not just moms, Uh but women in general. Mm -hmm. And that prejudice, right? If you're a woman, you can't really talk about pot smoking per se, but you can talk all you want about drinking wine and
2: all the time,
0: (laughs) all of the other things, Um, happy hours Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, it's so weird how that is totally, totally socially acceptable. But if you have a gummy, people are like, oh, "What are you doing?" Yeah, you're a, you're a yeah. mom, or you. But you know, you can drink a bottle of wine, and they're like,
0: mm-hmm. "It's not ladylike to smoke pot. It's not ladylike right. to have a gummy." And that prejudice yeah. that exists. And she's there to fight it. In hospitality, but also in any business. Innovation is kind of key. Like, that's why we do it. You're looking to fill a need. You're looking to create something new that doesn't exist or a twist on something that may already exist. And those following my story know, you know, that's why I created Knox. That's why I created Rice. That's why I created the Taqueria. And they don't always work and they don't always fail. But you're doing something right now that's really innovative and that I love and I wish I could steal your name for it.
2: Oh, I'm you can. We can share.
0: but it works so well for your brand and I'm like I wish there was a way I could twist it to work for my brand but we're working on it but it's a huge change coming through
2: Mm -hmm. and And I
0: think it ties directly
2: totally so it's our free spirited cocktails so we have our spirited cocktails and our free spirited cocktails we've been working on the program for about two years now and it has really kind of taken off it's a the non-drinking world I kind of talk about it like I talk about the vegan world if you are a restaurant and you are doing it they are going they are the loudest cheerleaders you could have they are the Erica Sorbellos they are the loudest cheerleaders out there and it's really great because anything we do gets picked up so quickly and we've been able to meet a bunch of different like Instagram people that are have this following that I'm like, "Oh my god, you're amazing." But they're coming in and they're they're seeing what we do and they're trying things, they're giving suggestions, and now they're like dropping stuff off. The the Blue Moon just came out with a non-alcoholic beer and this this guy came in and he's like, "I want you to try this. If you like it, you can sell it. If or if you like it, you can you know order it and sell it. If not, just enjoy it." So, it's really It's changing, and it's very important because the non-drinking world is growing and growing and growing. And with cannabis coming, and those um, consumption lounges will soon be here, people aren't looking to drink as much or at all. And I don't think you're going to be allowed to serve alcohol in a a lounge anyway, so people really have to get on board. So what's your
0: favorite Uh, spiritless cocktail
2: my favorite so my favorite spirited cocktail is a manhattan but i've really had a hard time finding a um, free spirited bourbon or whiskey that i like but i love ritual gin and i love negronis so that is probably my number one favorite i use ritual gin i use pathfinder spirits which is like an herbal liqueur almost can pass for a um, for the bitters And I use uh, Liar's Italian Spritz, and it's probably one of my favorite drinks.
0: Awesome. And for those that don't know, Ritual is a brand that sells uh, non alcoholic things like tequila, whiskey, gin. Very exciting. All right, well, I hope you guys enjoy our conversation with Shelby. She's amazing. And reach out and let us know how the industry is changing where you are. Hi, I'm Kelly and I'm Kelly the host of getting real with bossy the real raw and honest podcast about small business ownership with our experience nine businesses and over
2: 25 years we continue to bear it all and share what we wish we had known we move past the must be nices and start getting real come along as we interview small business owners and get the true story and we are here with Shelby Poole Shelby want to introduce yourself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me ladies. I'm the founder of Betty Bloom Social Club. It is a mobile social club based on educating women and newcomers into the cannabis space to learn about how to integrate the cannabis into their lives functionally and responsibly, and answer questions and get things get things going for people. But focused on fun mainly,
2: education, destigmatization, and fun.
1: Right? Look at you! Like yeah. So destigmatization is probably the biggest aspect of it because I'm sure that even if you use cannabis in the headline for this podcast episode, people are going to have something to say about it or immediately have some kind of response to it. And you know, it's it's legal and it's a valid industry and it's one that's going to merge with a lot of other industries. So getting used to talking about it and not feeling uncomfortable about talking about it is something that is a journey for a lot of people. They don't even know it yet. You both don't know it right now, we're about to about to hit it hard, but yeah, just trying to approach that in a friendly manner so that it's not as intimidating as it needs to be because
0: it's a it's a plant yeah it's never made sense to me at all
1: the stigma around it,
0: yeah because like growing up, it was like things like you're on the pot and like I don't know the things that were said and like the way things were reacted to it was the same as like heroin. I remember being little and like not knowing how bad things were when you would hear about somebody on drugs, right? Because it all got lumped together. And then when I got older, I was like, this is not the same thing.
1: Correct. And the craziest thing is that technically, according to the drug schedule of the United States of America, it is the same thing, right? which is kind of mind boggling. So cannabis is a schedule one drug for very political reasons, really having nothing to do with the effects of the plant. It goes back to really the early 30s. And even before that, you know, hemp is a really amazing plant. And it's very versatile. And it's very strong. And uh, there were a lot of other industries that were like, let's hold up there, plastics, uh, cotton stuff. And like, we don't need your hemp paper getting in the way of our cotton paper. And that kind of extends to a lot of different arenas. So the mission to slow down the hemp industry and overregulate it has been many, many decades. And, you know, we talk about the movie Reaper Madness. I don't know if you are familiar. Oh, with yeah. it. it was released in 1936, and it's a propaganda film that literally was also titled Tell Your Children. And it suggests that if you smoke weed, you will throw people off buildings, throw yourself off a building, you'll rape people, you'll dance uncontrollably.
0: And then the um, racial component, too. A
1: huge racial component that came about war on drugs When that sprung up around Nixon's time, that kind of was taking hippies and black people were the two people of focus or the two groups of people of focus and saying that like all these people that are associated with this awful drug, which again, schedule one drug at the time, there weren't people being loud about the need to research the, the actual positive attributes of the plant. It, the war on drugs disproportionately affected a lot of communities, most of which are still affected today through incarceration, family members of incarcerated folks whose lives were kind of put on pause because of possession of this plant that is now legal and that is now up for conversation about rescheduling or descheduling and a f- potentially thriving industry and hopefully eventual federal legalization. So You know, it's a pretty amazing journey that cannabis has been on in the past 100 years. And I think the next five years are going to be kind of mind boggling for people to
0: realize that they're allowed to talk about it in a public forum without being looked at like a leper. (laughs) Do you think it'll change in five years? There's just been like such a hard stop on everything.
1: Yeah, I think that it's changing every day. Honestly, I'm involved in an event tomorrow that's a really mainstream event, and it's a 500-person party, and and it's centered around cannabis. I was at an event the other day that was, again, centered around cannabis. And so the opportunity for people, we're going through a pretty sober, curious movement right now. People are drinking less than they ever have before, and I'm not going to naysay alcohol, although I don't need to. There are obvious attributes of alcohol that have led to really negative things in our society. I think people are coming to that realization. I think health and wellness has become so on the forefront. Mental health is something that has been on the decline and the opioid epidemic is on the incline. And so this is kind of a perfect storm of opportunity for this plant to, you know, have its moment in the sun and provide an alternative for a lot of these Negative things that are going on in our society. So, yeah, I think five years is totally valid. And, you know, I'm not the only person like me that's getting loud about it. There are at least three of me. <laughs> so, you know, we're trying to make this a movement. We're trying to make sure that, you know, the plant gets treated with respect, so that it gets treated as any other substance gets treated not even a substance really just like something that you can ingest and enjoy your life and have a good time it's just a good old vice and you know i personally am making sure that moms and women and the people who are kind of trying to uphold what is a really hard time in the world right now that we don't get left in the dust and that and that we're able to utilize this plan to make our lives a little more fun and a little easier as well
2: So let's go back a little bit because this is a huge part of your life now, but I think we kind of need to understand where it is that you came from, how you got into the hospitality industry in general, because I think that shows where you are, leads to where you are now. You were born into the hospitality industry, correct?
1: I'm like a Nepo
2: baby of restaurants. Yeah.
1: Yeah, my parents opened a restaurant when I was six years old. So um, my dad came home one day and he was like, I took a cooking class and I'm going to be in the restaurant business now. And so uh, my parents opened a restaurant when I was little that I would go to work with them every Saturday and be a hostess. And I thought that I would leave the industry because as we all in this room right now are aware, it is a very challenging industry and kind of like all encompassing. Like every one of my meals growing up was like us taking the plate at the dinner table and like flipping it over to see like, who the manufacturer is and like talking about like where people were getting their produce from like this was like normal dinner conversations with my family growing up so hospitality I would say is pretty much like most of me my personality is based on hospitality I have a waitress personality I'm like good for 45 minutes with you <laughs> we're, we're good and then I can move on so yeah, it's been it's been a long time. I have been running two restaurants on Long Island for the past fifteen years, seventeen it's been a long seventeen years, holy shit. That's a long time. Are we allowed to curse on? Yes, here? we good. All right, sweet. So um my husband and I, my husband is a chef. We met at the restaurant
2: when I was a youngin'.
1: You were in college, right?
2: When your parents hired him?
1: Yes. My parents hired him and my mom called me in college and she said, We just hired this guy, you're gonna love him. And I was like, oh, great. And then I met him. And then a long while later, I I went into my mom's office one night and I was like, I do love him.
0: Oh, your mom hired your husband. It's like every mom's dream.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And they like, I mean, they were obsessed with him. Like, I didn't meet him for a long time because I was away at school. And by the time I got there, they were like, we're making him a partner. Like, they loved him. So it was like, okay, I guess I have no choice but to marry this man. <laughs> Kidding, but also like we've been entrenched in it for a long time together. So yeah, we had been running these two gastro pubs. So very focused on our beer program, realized pretty quickly on that craft beer was, you know, a way to, to build community and be kind of part of what was the trendiest thing that was going on at the time in the hospitality space that was the most in line with the people that we were, which is community builders, a little bit scrappy We are not wine people where we're like, you know, we're going to go to France and like procure these rare bottles. We were like, we have red wine and white wine. Like, that's what we've got. And that's kind of how the snobbery of wine and the intimidation factor was what led us to craft beer because we were like, well, this is just beer. And then ironically, craft beer evolved. The winification of beer happened pretty quickly. And that snobbery really applied very quickly to beer. So I guess we kind of ran a winish program, you know, like that's when you're building out a beer program like that. It's it's very whiny. It's very, you know, specific to regions, specific to origin story and production process and storage process and all these things. And so, yeah, that's kind of my journey through the restaurant. Right before COVID, I was like, I'm done here. (laughs) Um, Famous last words. You only said that once? No, I had said that for like <laughs> literally <laughs> like going on all these like meditation retreats. And I was like, tell me the answer, but just make sure it's not the restaurant. Like, <laughs> I thought that the restaurant was running smoothly. And I thought, you know, I have a bigger bandwidth than these restaurants, which is ridiculous to say because we know that that is a very more than full time, it's like a full life job. But I was looking for fulfillment in other ways and moved to Blue Point Brewery, which is a craft brewery on Long Island. It's 25 years old and uh, was purchased in 2014 by Anheuser-Busch. So I went to work for Anheuser-Busch, which was really amazing to go from a small business to a small business that had been eaten up by a giant corporation. So it was great because I got the best of both worlds in there and i was doing pr comms and events and i loved it. So covid hit 3 weeks after i started. So my first corporate comms job, comms is communications. So i reported up to like their legal team to make sure that the things that we were saying were on the up and up and that, you know, it was okay. And literally like the world shut down and they were like, "You're a crisis comms person now." I was like, "Okay, I'm like googling like what do crisis comms people do?" Like, that is how i was doing my job. But it was wonderful and at the same time as I'm sure you both did too, pivoting essentially every single five minutes at the restaurant. So where I thought I was leaving the restaurant, COVID brought me back and got me pretty much in the throes of of the eternal pivot that COVID provided for restaurants. But you left for three weeks. (laughs) I was free for three. It was so good. Got to go to a party (laughs) on a weekend. What? Yeah. For three weeks, I was like, oh, this is what people like people have lives on the weekends. This is so interesting. I had never been off on a Friday or Saturday. Right. It was uh, exciting for that time. And then I think
2: Kelly, we met right after
1: that. Kelly B. Do we call you Kelly B and Kelly M? Is that what we're doing? We
2: met before. We met in Long Island in 2019. At the summit. Yeah. Yeah. So the Restaurant Association, I
1: would say was like a savior. It was like a place to like console ourselves during COVID, Mm -hmm. right? Like such a good community. And it was just like being able to share and celebrate wins and mourn losses and know that you weren't going
2: through things by yourself.
1: I mean, I don't think that we would have made it through as a restaurant without that. Right. I'm not sure.
2: And how long did you stay with Anheuser-Busch? I stayed
1: with Anheuser-Busch for three years The first year I was there, I had kind of said to them, like, you guys are hippies. And like, I know everyone in this building smokes weed. How come we don't celebrate 420 as a holiday at the brewery? And our GM at the time, Carrie Schaefer, who was a fantastic GM, also the only female GM out of all of Anheuser-Busch's craft brands. So it was really amazing to get to work with her. She was like, I agree with you. Put 420 on the calendar and we created 420 festival which for anybody that's not i guess cannabis focused 420 is april 20th and it's a day that is a day uh, you smoke a lot of weed and listen to music and there are lots of different celebrations so we launched a 420 party for that year we did it in the parking lot during covid socially distance with some vendors that You were only allowed to go look at the vendor if you weren't eating, but otherwise you had to be like sitting at a table because it was COVID. But it was still amazing. And then we scaled it the next year and it was 2000 people. And then this year was 3000 people in attendance. It was really the first time on Long Island and, you know, probably in all of New York State where we were openly consuming alcohol and cannabis in the same space. It was beautiful. It was Diverse. It was socially responsible. People were recycling their cans like they had never done before. There was no anger. There was no bar fight. There were no ambulances called because people were taking the shit out of each other. It was just like good old fashioned fun. And realizing that that was kind of like an opportunity, I think for the first time, people, you know, there are a lot of people like me who don't drink that much. I don't really drink at all anymore. I did because I was in beer and I was like, well, you have to like practice what you preach. So I drink out of a tiny little taster glass that I drink beer out of. But I think for the first time people were like, oh, like I can consume another vice. I don't have to be looked at any differently. Like now I'm kind of the one that's like the star of the show and you're a beer can like, you can still have it, but it's not really the focus here. But the intersection has been a really, it's been a cool place to be sitting. And I i learned, I realized fairly recently that like, it's not that I've pivoted from hospitality to beer to cannabis. It's that I'm a hospitality person and I believe in the evolution of hospitality. And I think that that's where I'm sitting right now is like, how do we, how do we all play together in the same space and evolve as post-COVID individuals who are have been removed from society for quite some time. And, you know, now it's like, how do we come back together as our authentic selves, our maybe a little bit fucked up after COVID selves, our struggling selves, and just get to like be in an authentic way and just get to like be among each other, doing as we wish to be doing together.
2: Right. Well, you were really at the forefront of craft beer in Long Island. And now you're transitioning to be at the forefront of cannabis, hopefully in the world. So I think you you definitely understand trends you're following along and you're going to continue to be a leader. That's a that's a heavy load. How do you manage that? I mean, it's kind of exciting. Like,
1: I love seeing people's faces. I think I manage it by like watching people's faces and getting to be around the people who are true naysayers, the ones who really do associate cannabis with heroin, and getting to just have conversations with them where they can see that like, there's functionality of this plan. It's not people that are looking for an escape from the world. It's actually looking for people who are looking for like a new approach to the world. Energetically, like I've been a cannabis user. I mean, I didn't call it cannabis until recently, like that's very highbrow of me. Like, you know, I smoked weed as a teenager and as a college student and a young adult. And, like, I've always been kind of a really motivated person and highly productive. And I attribute those qualities much to this plant. So showing people the different sides of it and and the different ways that you can utilize it in your world. And that it's not just like, you know, I think we're in this place where, like, everything is black or white. Like, we've reduced everything to no spectrum. There's no spectrum left. It's just like, are you this or are you that? Like, you get pigeonholed in these areas. And that, like, the excitement for me is the potential innovation in this space and all the different ways that you're going to see it applied to different aspects of life. So I guess the way that I'm balancing and keeping it together is just sheer excitement, honestly. And I like a full plate. Right.
0: Well, that's the hospitality you.
1: <laughs> if I have like too much shit to do, like that's where I'm sitting pretty.
0: <laughs> My therapist has to always remind me that your plate is you. So you can be full, but you have to be able to see little spots through it because you have to be on your plate too.
1: No, that's ridiculous.
0: Don't just even little say spots, that. <laughs> little spots. A speck here and there. Yep, that's all. <laughs> just a speck. just You have to see just a little bit of yourself in there. Yeah,
1: I think that this is, like, a really weird time in life and, like, taking – like, I read something that, like, self-care is not, like, doing the laundry. No. (laughs) And, like, cleaning up the house. Like, that's not – That's a chore. And, I mean, honestly, I'm in a field that, like, is kind of self-care-ish. Like, I – you know, at the end of the night, like, I sit on the porch with my husband and we smoke a joint and we talk about our day and, like, we sit in rocking chairs and look out at the moonlight. So – You know, I think like maybe work smarter, not harder has been like a good mantra for me that like I can pack a punch and that just because I'm working doesn't mean I'm not also like being my best self. Like I guess I can do both right now.
2: So is Harry primarily running the restaurant now and you get to focus on what you're doing? Harry's
1: running the restaurant. We talk, you know, I'm always like, I'm always here for you. But then when he asks me to do stuff, I'm like, what do you expect me to do? Everything? (laughs) Which I think is like typical of like working with your spouse in this kind of industry. So I still run the social media for them and we're working on maybe pivoting the concept a little bit to something that is a little more takeout friendly because you know, consumer behaviors have changed and consumers so gotta keep keep up with the times. Or like I don't know I do I daydream about like Harry going and working at a ski mountain and I like sit in the lodge all day and write a book and like that's our life and we just like take it all away. Yeah,
2: sounds amazing. I'll be there. <laughs> I know. Did you notice I'm not skiing on the ski mountain? Yeah. No, we're we're cozy with a with a brandy and a joint and writing our book. Yeah. Perfect. I'll take a cocoa. Yeah. I'm <laughs>
0: in.
1: I always think about, like, what is this desire that we have to always be, like, doing and, like, producing and making things happen? And it's like, I don't know, I'm talking to two highly productive women, so I imagine that this is, like, a relatable thing where you're, like, going, you're going, you're going,
2: and then you're like, but wait, why? Like, when, what? Did, when did success be defined by how much you've done instead of who or you how- are and what you've accomplished?
1: Right. I have been going through it a lot because I launched my, I launched Betty Bloom in February. I launched it predominantly for timing because I knew I couldn't wait for another 420 to pass to launch my brand, not necessarily because I was ready. And I've kind of been chasing after it this whole time. And, you know, through the past six months, I've had really great wins and really great successes highlighted by, you know, a heated conversation with a Senator that both of you witnessed that led to some serious wins in the space that I'm in. And in my, you know, my quest for making this plant have some upward momentum. And yet I come home and I go, well, I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm not making the money I want to be making and money, 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 money. And somehow negates the wins that you have because we are as a society so obsessed with working our monetary value and and I've been trying to put a lot of thought to it I haven't figured out the answer if you know the answer you just let me know but I just never thought that I was like a person where money needed to be a focus and now I've noticed that it's like kind of suggesting what my wins and losses are which is such a shame
2: can we go back to February? Because we were all together in New York in March of this year, and that was the first time I heard the name Betty Bloom
0: mentioned.
2: And I'm curious how it all got started and where the name come from. Honestly, it's just like name a bad Betty.
1: Like there are just a lot of good Bettys. My um, maiden name is Bloom, so I knew that it would be cool to, to utilize Bloom. Frankly, the concept came way before the name. I didn't talk about the concepts. Ultimately the concept for Betty Bloom is that we provide kind of like intimate parties for people to ask questions about cannabis and learn about different cannabis brands that are available in the market because you don't walk into Target and just say like I need dish soap, you're like, I need Dawn or whatever. Like, you know, we are a society that is programmed to know names and nobody knows any names in the space. So my goal was to educate based on actual brands that are available, that people could walk into a dispensary, which is a very overwhelming experience if you've ever been to one. It is not feminine. It is not approachable. It is not typical retail. And so I I was like, there needs to be some kind of segue for people who are interested in this space. So that's where Betty Bloom kind of came about. But I didn't talk about it for a really long time, because I was like, it's not real. if There's no name. And then one night, actually, I have a Betty Boop hanging on my wall. I was looking at it. And I was like, Betty Bloom. Okay, that's what we're gonna do. And then I said it to a couple of people. And they were like, Oh, yeah. And uh, she's kind of gone in her own direction ever since. Oh, and then I got these glasses. And the glasses were really like, they kind of go with the theme of like this, I go for Tupperware party, I go for Tupperware party, let's take Exactly how women were. If we could freeze women in the 50s and put them into today, we can kind of say, like, not much progress has actually really happened. In the 50s, women who were starting Tupperware parties were highly motivated business women, and they really don't there's not really been a tremendous amount of we say there's a lot of progress, but there hasn't actually been a lot of progress in that time. So, you know. I'm I've, I've trying to model that aesthetic and that idea of that time of like, how can we actually take that mentality of the 50s and apply it to today where we're a little louder about the fact that we are ready to take things to the next level, aka just like destroy the patriarchy. Like how can we apply Tupperware parties to destroy the patriarchy? That's really where I'm at right now. Love but it. I got these glasses and everybody seems to think that they're like my shtick. And so like, that's kind of just, been the thing that's driven home the brand, which is insane to say. But then you think about it and you're like, okay, there's a lot of companies that have like a signature thing on people like Mr. Clean has a bald head. Imagine Mr. Clean or you wouldn't recognize him. I don't know.
2: So what are you doing now with Betty Bloom? Is it mostly events? Yeah.
1: So ultimately, Betty Bloom is an agency model where I work directly with brands and serve as a conduit between cannabis brands and non-cannabis brands to do what I did at Blue Point, which is take the cannabis lifestyle and incorporate it into other areas of life. So health and wellness, education. So it's really like holding hands with individual brands and kind of like joining them together and saying like, you two have synchronicity here you just don't know it yet. Or, you know, you want to look authentic. Well, here's a group that's going to help you be authentic. So that is my area of focus right now is getting the right cannabis brands on board for wanting to turn their, their marketing efforts to a more partnership based focus, and community based focus really big on cooperative big business practices. So, you know, right now, it's like getting players in the room, and incorporating them into my programming. And yeah, it's predominantly event focused. So once a month, I do an infused dinner and a movie at our restaurant, Jackson's in Comac. It's a themed movie. So a themed menu to go with the movie. So I did Dazed and Confused. I did Half Baked, Friday the 13th. And then I don't know what I'll do for November. Have any ideas on that? I don't know. I don't know what I'll do. I'll think on that. I'll get back to you. So I do that. I do a flea market where I have vendors come in. And then right now I'm in the throes of planning a pretty large International Women's Day event called Mainstream Mary. And that is, it's a completely interactive event. So a lot of these events that I've gone to in this industry are like people on a stage talking to you and telling you what the industry is going to look like. And it's very industry focused. Mainstream Mary is actually focused outward. And it's a Policy and politics free conversation and guided brainstorm on how to destigmatize and turn cannabis into a mainstream object that you can have. So, it's a guided brainstorm. It's utilizing techniques from Amazon and from Walt Disney. There are all different really creative brainstorming techniques that different corporations and creative entities have used through time. To find the successes that they have had. So we're going to take that and we're going to apply it to cannabis. And like, how do we talk to kids about it? Do we talk to kids about it? How do we incorporate it into working out? Can you use it as a pre-workout? How do you message the kind of dosing that there should be? You know, all the different kind of aspects of life. I think that right now there are a lot of political conversations that go on in this space. But I kind of believe that social affects politics or can, right? Right now we're in a place where politics are affecting everything. There's nothing that politics, like everything is, is trickling down from there. But, you know, as we've seen in person from people in rooms that there is a lot of misinformation that's being put out there about this plant. And so mainstream Mary is all about making sure that that information is effective and safe and responsible information so that it can get disseminated to the different areas of life, thereby affecting change politically, because people have a better knowledge base, and they see better of what what we're talking about when we talk about normalizing cannabis. And that's going to be at uh, West Industry Studios, which is an awesome production house on Long Island. And we're going to be recording the whole session. And we're going to have breakout podcasts, you should calm down for it. And yeah, it's gonna be something special. And it all opens up with a screening of the movie Reefer Madness, which again kind of got the ball rolling on this whole negativity towards cannabis in en mass. So we're gonna
2: we're gonna flip the scripts. Well, that's what you do though. We've seen you, both of us have seen you in so many conversations where you have to be the educator and you don't back down anytime and you stand your ground and it's it's incredible to watch. I don't know how you do it. It seems exhausting, but you 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 make your point known. <laughs> I cry afterwards. That's what Oh yeah, no, for sure.
1: <laughs> I oh my god, somebody hates me. I don't back down. I don't back down in the things I believe in. I mean, we have platforms and we have freedom of speech. So like do the math, you know? You're allowed to like get loud about the things you believe in and like I'm a big practitioner of love. And unity, and anything that I see that has
2: potential for that, I will always be loud about. So, what is the marriage between? I mean, Kelly and I were talking about this just before between alcohol and cannabis. Is there is there a happy ending for that? Do you see? I mean, you know we are moving more towards a sober, I and mean, we have a pretty significant non alcoholic cocktail list. And I know a lot of places are moving towards that. And one of the reasons we do that is because we are seeing more people out and about who don't want to be drinking because they are enjoying cannabis or they just don't want to be drinking because that's just not part of their lifestyle anymore. So what would you like to see the future be?
1: I would really love to see anybody that has a liquor license be able to also opt in to selling cannabis beverages. I think that, again, like the black and whiteness of of an entire industry makes it that you don't think about cannabis beverages, you you know, people tend to think like, Oh, it's all smoking weed. And it's like, it's not about the smell, we don't even have to talk about the smell. We know that that's insulting to some people, we can move past that. And I think that the place that we can most effectively move past that is in canned beverages, that's going to be a space that absolutely explodes. So for the restaurant and bar industry to not have a place in that conversation. I mean, first of all, it's just not very irresponsible because you want to make sure that you're providing products with food. That's just something that you always want to do across the board. Like there's no re- You don't walk into 7-Eleven and they say, like, we don't have snacks. We only have drinks and water and beer. Like it doesn't work like that. So, you know, I think for the success of the restaurant industry, which is obviously stunted and going through some really tough times right now expanding opportunity for for the restaurant industry is pretty critical. And also, when you apply for a liquor license, you're signing away your liability, and you're effectively proclaiming that you are responsible for the people ingesting substances in your place. If you would like to choose another vice to be representing, like there's absolutely like, it's nonsensical that they be segregated. So you know, for me, I think that the future of the industry and the intersection between alcohol and cannabis is that they get to live in the same space from a consumption standpoint. And that if somebody wants to make decisions on behalf of their own bodies, they can do that. Like they should be allowed to do that. And so there are going to have to be a lot of conversations with people that are in different camps. You know, I call the Office of Cannabis Management I call it the Eve to the state liquor authorities, Adam. The Office of Cannabis Management is spun off of the SLA. And so since they've become two entities, they don't interact and they don't engage. They're operating as two separate models, but it's all vices. It's all 21 plus substances that you're ingesting. And so like, um, I'm hoping that that merges a little bit. And, you know, I'm working to figure out how there can be how people like me can can help and aid in that conversation, people who have a hospitality background. And I just think general hospitality in the cannabis space is really important. Like I've gone to a lot of events that, you know, have a really loud DJ and don't have a lot of water. And like, those are like the two basics for a cannabis event. Like people want to talk to each other. They don't necessarily want a DJ blasting over them. They actually do like human interaction and conversation. And like you get cotton mouth and you have the munchies. So like have food, have drinks and like allow for people to just like chill out and relax and get creative and get crafty and get deep because that's kind of what the industry allows. So let's start focusing a lot towards making cannabis users feel included in the hospitality space and then kind of see how it shakes out. And as far as sober curious, I don't blame people. I'm sober curious myself. I'm actually what they call California sober, which is very fancy. It just means that I don't drink and I smoke weed.
0: (laughs) But it sounds really cool. I have a political question. I love everything you're saying, right? And it's like this perfect world and you're putting on these events and I want to go to them all. And I also on the other side have a restaurant that employs a lot of people that live in the city. And the city of Rochester right now has a huge spike in gun violence that has been called by the chief of police um, to be completely because the state legalized marijuana and then didn't allow any shops to open. So by the legalization of it, the black market exploded and a bunch of gangs apparently moved into Rochester to control the drug market. With that being said, I'm constantly having people having to leave work because of gun violence. So it's like, I see both sides of this, right? So I'm like, I love it. And I, I've always thought it should be legal ever since I realized that it wasn't what it, I was told it was, right? And the fact that it's not, and I think, what are we at seven legal stores right now? And then they they opened one in Rochester, but then I think they closed it back down. I mean, the illegal stores are everywhere.
1: Illegal stores are are like 26 as of today. Okay. And right, there were 453 licenses, 463 licenses that were issued. And the goal was for many of them to be open by now. So right, the rollout of this industry, like, sure, I'm talking about like the sunshine and bubblegum version of this. But like, there's for sure not just even one dark side of it, but, like, a lot of dark sides of it. Like, the territoriality of cannabis in New York before legalization was already insane. New York was moving more metric tons of weed than any other state in the country. So, like, there is already a thriving industry going on. So, you know, yes, the black market has gotten larger. It is mind-boggling to see how many shops are open and selling and... No questions about it. And yet the people that have like gone through the proper steps and the proper avenues to get to a legal shop are unable to open. Like I imagine there's a lot of corruption at play. Like, I don't imagine there's a lot of corruption at play. Like that is just point blank. That is true. And that's for everything in life. And that's shit. As far as the unregulated market taking over and causing violence. Yeah. It's a serious problem. And the lack of mass education on procuring legal products and regulated products is absent there is none and so there's no way for people to know where they should be buying these products from like i there's one dispensary on long island that's it most people are not getting their product from a legal dispensary they're getting it from the unregulated market which is like again it's been happening for generations and generations right like these are legacy people who have been involved in this industry so It's not to negate the validity of it. There are some people that have valid businesses that are unregulated businesses. And that was by force because it wasn't legal. So, you know, it's not like the market didn't exist because it wasn't legal. The market existed because there's always been demand for it. And it's a plant that you can grow. And so it's pretty easy to keep that going. You know, the big conversation is that the more we educate people and the more stores that are legal that are open, the less. People will go to these black market shops, and the less power they will have to be driving down the price of products and moving products and selling products that might be laced with things that are not okay or products that are out of code from another state that are coming in. Like it's a huge problem. And, you know, I think the big biggest unfortunate aspect of it that I've picked up on, and this is just I try to stay, I really like, politics freak me out because I'm like, I'm not acting like I know what's really going on because I'm only seeing the media's version of what's really going on. Or, you know, you're telling me the story of what's going on in your town. Like, that's not something that comes down to Long Island. Like, nobody's shouting that from the rooftops by any means on Long Island. It's horrifying and so sad. And I do think that cannabis is like a really easy crutch for people to fall on and say like oh yeah no it's because of this when like "Mm, no I mean there's also like a huge mental health issue and like there are gun control laws that are broken in our state and in our nation and so like you know to put it just on that one piece of information which is that
0: like cannabis is causing it is like a little bit of like for the violence in Rochester it's not cannabis that's causing it it's the legalization slash not rollout of legalization that's causing it because it's a market that they could come in and take over without having to worry about getting in trouble. Right. Right. And
1: go back to where I feel like there is a big a big issue is that the regulation, the all like these these shops that are popping up all over the place have fallen under control of the Office of Cannabis Management. And so now you're taking this very new organization in the state, it's a state organization they're responsible for creating all of the legal rollout they're responsible for you know being sued frankly like left and right because that's what's going on right now they have to create all the policy they have to enforce all the policy and they have to enforce the opening of these legal shops without the support of local municipalities and that's just like not realistic it's just not i don't know how anybody could expect that an organization can just pop up and be like yeah we're going to shut down all these places also we're going to make sure that you get your license, that you're you're a social equity applicant, that you're getting all the resources that you need. Like, you know, I just find that like this lack of unity across the board with municipalities in general is just a big problem. It's a shame that people just don't talk to each other and I think that like when I brought up the Office of Cannabis Management and State Liquor Authority don't communicate with each other regularly and have, you know, united front there, that's The first example of a bajillion examples of how like the lack of working together is going to kind of keep this snowballing until the snowball falters and they do start shutting down these shops, which really has to happen. You know, like New York City is finding landlords if they open the shops and yet they're still opening. So it's like, I have no idea how it got to this place and I, I'm hoping that with more more regulated shops opening and more people getting on board with mass education of where to procure safe and legal products through the state. Like, th- that's campaigns that need to be happening right now, and they're not. And I hope it gets better in Rochester because that sucks.
0: So, while we're on touchy things, I remember when I had my first daughter and like Facebook was just kind of like blowing up, right? Like, so social media, I'm aging myself here, but she was born in 2009. I had Facebook, but it it was just starting to, like, get big. Like, I was still uploading pictures from my camera, right, when she was little. But one of the things that always bothered me was how okay it was to have playdates and moms would drink wine. And I'd be like, well, I have to drive home. Like, can I just smoke a little? (laughs) Like, well, I'm stressed out and I'm tired. Can I talk about how I just want to get high and watch TV? Like, do I have to drink wine? (laughs) It was always so focused on like drinking as a mom and it just drove me insane and it's like why is it okay do you see that shift happening like I'm not really in mom groups anymore but is there a shift to, to welcoming pot smoking moms no there's not it is like, can we put wine in quotes oh no, like yeah I need my
1: wine yeah. mommy needs her wine no I've seen curiosity from people I do think we need, like, some kind of, like, national coming out day. I Like, I really want to do, like, October's October. We've, like, celebrated October in the LGBTQIA plus community, in the queer community. We have celebrated that for so many years. And I really want to do one for cannabis where you, like, come out and then we, like, donate money to a local queer organization. Because I'm like, how do we get people to be proud of this? No, it hasn't happened yet there are people even within our circle, right, we all know each other from one specific place. And there are people who are impactful in our circle, who will not come out as users of the plant, even though they are proud, they, they will they use it, you know, they they're, they accept it, they accept the lifestyle, but they're not prepared to talk about it themselves. No, the stigma hasn't gone away. It hasn't gotten better. I went to a networking event with a bunch of women yesterday and I talked about my industry. And the whole time, the whole entire time, they made jokes about weed. And it was like, do you hear yourself? So every time I was like, okay, well, I'm going to make, every time you say something about me smoking weed, I'm going to say something about you drinking a glass of vodka because that's what a martini is. It's a glass of vodka. So I'm going to talk about you drinking a glass of vodka at dinner. And we can, we can do it this way. And like, You know, and I said to one girl, like, I think that you misunderstand that, like, because I'm pro cannabis, you think I'm stoned all day. Like, that's not the case. It's not the case at all. Like, I use it for very specific moments in my day. I used to unwind with my husband at night. Not that that needs justification. And I use it during the day as a micro dose to focus because sativa there are some products out there that are very specifically made for focusing, and I'm not really like a meds kind of person. So I use it to focus. And even though those are legitimate, reasonable things to say, no, I've found that the the commonplace mom group is still going to default back to, you know, she's a stoner, <laughs> and she's a pothead. And that's a, that's a shame. And I think that The more people that are open about it and that are non-judgmental about it, the better it'll get. And I'm kind of at a place where I accept that this is the way people are going to speak. And I just kind of follow things up by saying, like, if you have any questions about it, I'm happy to answer it. Like anything I can do to make it more accessible and less intimidating for people, like we mock what we don't know. I'm sure that a lot of these moms, like one of my favorite wine and Xanax moms, I turned on to gummies this year and she was like, I, I would take a gummy every night and never have a Xanax again. And I was like, that's great because Xanax is kind of cracky. And so like, maybe you should consider that. So like, you know, it's, it's one person at a time. It's going to take a while. I think that's why my model for Betty Bloom is so focused on small groups because It's intimidating to be in a group and to be the outlier. And I get it. This is high school and middle school for the rest of our lives. Like, we always just want to fit in. We always just want to, like, be with the crowd. It's just, like, the way we seem to be programmed to want to do that. Like, when we're in a group of moms, if we're at the PTA meeting, that we can't be the one that stands out. And that's a shame. I think that the three of us kind of disprove that, right? We're like, whatever, like, fuck all the haters. We'll just do our thing. But it's not like we don't all return to our homes at the end of the night and go like, was I too much? Was that too much? Did I, did it come off too strong? like we all tend to question each other because ultimately we just want to conform and the conformity seems to just be wine and I don't understand it. (laughs) We're going to get there.
2: Well, you're, you're getting us there.
1: I hope so. It's so, it's like, I come home and I laugh about it. I'm like, this is insane. But, you know, to the, the positive here is that there are brands out there that know that they're going into this with people not being able to necessarily segue. And so they're doing it through their packaging. They're doing it through their marketing and they're putting themselves out there in a way that's like super mainstream. Like if you look at heirloom drinks, Heirloom is owned by Beacon Skiff Orchards and they do 1911 hard cider. So like they have a non-alcoholic, they have an alcoholic and now they have a cannabis drink. Their lemonade, first of all, is just next level. So good. They just did a Honeycrisp apple cider. Like when you look at Heirloom, it's not an intimidating drink. It looks like something that you would want to pick up and try. So, you know, these brands, they're doing the work too. Like they're going to make it that I'm going to bring a four pack of Heirlooms out to my girls' night and people are going to want to try it because they're like, "Oh, I I, lo- I like cider."
2: You know? So like
1: there're a lot of ways to be like entering this space right now and I think it's really cool to watch the brands that are doing the best jobs with it.
2: Any others you want to give a shout out to?
1: Eaton Botanicals is based out of Syracuse and they're the first hemp farm in New York state. It's their main business is actually they create bedding for livestock. Eaten pet and pasture is their main business, and they spawned off and they did eaten botanicals. And it's a low THC, so it's five milligrams per gummy. Um, the max in New York State when you're purchasing at a dispensary is ten milligrams, so it's a lower milligram dosage. And it also has vitamins in it and it has adaptogenic mushrooms in it. And it was developed with. Scientists and doctors and mycologists to be extremely functional. You can use it as a pre workout. There's a nighttime gummy that is far more effective than melatonin because melatonin makes you fall asleep, but then you're like up scrolling on Instagram at three o'clock in the morning. It actually gets you to sleep, which is really cool. So they're great. Her Highness is just launching their THC products and they have a party pack and like everything is like cute and feminine and fashionable and Glitzy and gold and they have like giggly puffs is their pre-rolls and so like you know it's just like a little more accessible and fun and something that you can bring to a girls night and be like maybe the girls will be like oh I would I would attempt that over my you know that thing that you like stick in the wine bottle and it like is a glass and so you're like oh yeah I'm drinking a glass of wine but it's like actually the whole wine bottle how is that a thing and that's okay yeah And if I want to smoke a joint, it's like, oh, no, we're getting there. We'll get there. Are you there? Let me see. Let me see. Light up your joint. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) We're in a hotel.
0: Well, and I love when people are like, well, my kids, you know, they're going to eat the gummies. And I'm like, well, my kids know not to drink my drink. It's just teaching them that there are certain things they can't eat. If it's not in the snack cupboard, you know, they walk up to my drink and they're like, can I have that? I'm like, it's water. (laughs) They ask no matter what. Like they, they know That there is a chance. Yeah.
1: And it's okay to talk to kids about it. Like, this is a legal substance. They're going to eventually be adults. And, like, it would be nice to give people, like, you know, you will talk to your teenage kid about drinking, right? And you'll say, like, you know, I think it's important to talk to kids about drinking a bottle of beer and drinking a bottle of tequila are two very different things, right? And so, like, dosage in the cannabis space, like... Talking about milligrams in something isn't like, you know, I'm not saying my my six-year-old needs to know how many milligrams to be ingesting, but I have a 13-year-old daughter, and I know what's floating around out there, and she knows what's floating around out there, and like, she knows what I do. So, you know, we have a a different dialogue than most people do, but it is kind of like practice for me on how parents should be talking to their kids about it, because there are people in the unregulated market that are making edibles that are 100 milligrams, And like for anybody, adult, teenager, anybody, it's important to know that that's too much to be consuming in one time, especially if you're not a user. Or, I mean, I would never, I just, it blows my mind that people do this. But like, it's okay to be saying to your kids, this is the label that's available in New York state that is the regulated label. If you are so interested in experimenting, I never want to see you even look twice at, a, at an item that doesn't have this label on it that isn't regulated in New York State, that has been lab tested. Like, maybe she, she's not going to use that now. She's not. I'm pretty hard up on her being a nerd for as long as possible. But when she gets to college, she better know what she's looking at that's safe and regulated and unsafe and unregulated. Like, that's an important difference that we really do need to talk teenagers about And it shouldn't have to be something that's scary. It's the same way you would talk to your kids about alcohol. And you're right. I have alcohol in my house. And it's so interesting that we never think twice about the fact that they have immediate access to alcohol and we don't question it. We have tylenol in our house. We don't say, oh, I got to make sure, you know, the Tylenol is in a lockbox in the back of my closet so that no one can ever know that I even have it. Unrealistic. It's unrealistic for that. And, you know, as we... Make more progress. It's unrealistic for cannabis too, I think. Or, or there's someone like that's going to hear this and be like, "Fuck that girl." But I
0: don't well, think so. One hundred percent.
1: There, of course, there are. Of course, there are, and that's okay. Because again, going back to the beginning, it's a Schedule One drug. It's painted in a way that it should be naysayed, and it's painted in a way that we shouldn't be talking about it. And you know, hopefully, that's changing. And again, five years from now you know, we can look on on this and say like, oh my God, remember when, you know, weed and alcohol were like totally
0: different entities. Like this is not a forever thing. I feel good about it because my mom and dad understand it. when we were teenagers, they did not. We're talking 30 years of education on just two people and their experiences because they had the information they knew. A lot of it came from like post-Vietnam and like, Everyone they knew that smoked pot was fucking insane. Well, they were probably fucking insane because they just got out of the war, but you don't like, (laughs) so they had what they knew and it's illegal and it's a schedule one drug and you, you know, and that was it. And 30 years of education and they seem to understand it and like get that it's not, that it's not the same thing as heroin. It's not what they've been told it is.
1: So medically available and provides a lot of pain for a lot of people. So I think when you get to that demographic of people, they're actually the the best spokespeople for it because find me people who are 65, 75, who aren't suffering from some kind of chronic pain or have some kind of ailment that they're trying to find relief from. And this is finally something where they're finding relief. We stood at the dispensary. We were standing at the door for maybe 25 minutes the other day, just kind of paying attention to who walked in. Uh, we were at Housing Works, which was the first dispensary to open in New York City, and in my opinion, one of the finest. I think they give the best, they are the most helpful as far as the user experience, helping you find what's right for you. I would say that 75% of the many people that walked in were over the age of 70. And it's really nice to see that people are not turning to addictive prescribed drugs, because that; those are the other options. And that they're turning to a natural alternative that they can find some relief or just want to get stoned and play video games because you can be 75 and do that too. Right. You know, always want to remind like this, is this is all really about fun. It's about having a good time. You don't like talk about wine and say like, we got to get serious about wine. Like, no, you want to have wine to unwind and like enjoy your night. Or if you're me, get sick immediately and regret
0: it.
2: (laughs) We know where you want to see the industry in five years. Where do you want to see Betty Bloom in five years? (sighs) She'd love to go on vacation. She deserves a vacation. Yeah. How do we get her out of Long Island and just traveling the country, spreading the message?
1: So I am going to be spending the next couple months kind of turning inward on Betty Bloom and planning for how I want to see her grow Um, So I'm laying really low on programming for the next couple months so that I can get my business on, which as a woman in her, not her first career is very daunting to like, be like, Oh, yeah, let me just learn about startups. Like I'm a small business person. I just know, like, my QuickBooks, you know, I don't know how to expand a business, but I want to, I would like to be expanding indefinitely. And if I had my way. Like Virginia Slims, every woman in America would feel happy taking out her pack of pre-rolls and smoking one if she needs it. That's where I'd like Betty Bloom to be in five years. I love
0: it. Well, just can we travel with you? Because we're expanding Bossy and you're expanding Betty Bloom. Oh, and we can invite Rosa because she wants to expand Marvelous Minds. And we'll all just travel around. That's the dream. I'm down.
1: I'm as communal as they come. I have found all my success in life by expanding into my community and providing space where I have it and when I have it and providing resources and sharing resources. Like, I guess it's a very feminine way of doing business. I believe in it. And I know you do too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, let's take
0: it on the road. All right. So International Women's Day, Mainstream Mary, where can people find out more information about that?
1: Sign up for my newsletter but everything's kind of housed on my instagram which is betty bloom social club or bettybloom.biz is my
2: website excellent yeah thanks for joining us today
1: thank you thank you for having me you're some bad bitches and i love it we're bad
0: betties
2: bad betties we just think you're amazing
0: Live it, love it, lime it with Selena's Mexican Restaurant at the Village Gate. Come for the food, stay for the fun. Become a part of Selena's family. Selena's offers daily specials, happy hour at the bar, and catering, plus dietary menus for celiac, vegan, and vegetarian
1: guests. Find out more at selenas.com, S-A-L-E-N-A-S.com.
2: Hi, I'm Kelly Bush, and I own Marshall Street Bar & Grill. Whether you're out celebrating with friends or looking for a catered event, Marshall Street is your number one choice. With board games, pool, darts, pinball, and three large screen projectors, you'll never run out of things to do. Check out our huge menu with over 60 items, including vegan and vegetarian food, 18 taps, unique spirits, and great daily specials. We've got something for everyone. Come see old friends or make new ones at Marshall Street Bar and Grill. You always have a home at Marshall Street. You're just like
0: one step down from Taylor Swift. She's, like, my goal. Well,
1: Martha's my goal. Martha's my real goal. And then Taylor is, like, I don't know what is wrong with me where I think that, like, getting her in a room smoking weed is, like, reasonable. But, like, I actually think that that's, like, totally gettable.
0: I think so, so Betty Bloom Vision. All right. (laughs) Thank you, Shelby. BettyBloom.biz. Yeah. And Betty Bloom Social Club on Instagram. You got it. And we will be in touch to... Find out what happens next. I know. Stay tuned. Dun, dun, dun. Well, that was a fun interview. So fun. And I love being in a hotel room.
2: I know. It's so nice.
0: (laughs) Anytime I'm in a hotel room, I'm happier than normal.
2: Yeah, I just spread. I just spread all out. You had a
0: nice room, too. I wish we had pictures to share for people. I took some.
2: I took some. Maybe we'll put them up on on our Instagram, Bossy Rock, R-O-C. Awesome. So speaking of being innovative, I'm really excited for everybody to get to meet Hope on our next our next podcast she's incredible she owns the local influencer tour and it girl friday and i can't wait to share how what she does and how she's already changed our business for the better
0: i might have learned more from her than anyone else on the planet
2: i completely agree i completely agree and i have a feeling she's going to give away so many tidbits and so much information on content and Social media, you definitely don't want to miss it.
0: And thank you again to Shelby. Hopefully, Betty Bloom will come up to the upstate area. I guess we're not upstate, Finger Lakes, wherever we are. And, you know, maybe we'll just have to go down to Long Island and visit her so we can check out an event.
2: I agree. That sounds wonderful.
0: And make sure to check out Focus and Fortify, March 11th, 12th, 18th, and 19th in Rochester, New York. Tickets are on sale now. Uh, get your spot. It's going to be amazing. We have over 23 small business owners sharing their knowledge and prices are really cheap. So yeah, check that out at bossyrock.com, B-O-S-S-Y-R-O-C.com and follow us on all the socials, B-O-S-S-Y-R-O-C, Bossy Rock. Be bold. Be brave. Be the boss. (laughs) (laughs) Bye.